Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. I'm joined again with, by my good friend and former colleague, David Erickson, a senior fellow in finance at the Wharton School of Business. And this is Larry Wiesneck, co-president of Cowan. As we record this on May 19, 2021, we're in the full swing of graduation season for many students and families. And we wanted to start by talking about that tremendous milestone, as well as where we see the future in terms of jobs, industries, and opportunities in the emerging and innovative sectors that we specialize at here in Cowan. With that, let me turn it over to my good friend, David. Thanks, Larry. You know, as, as you mentioned, in terms of graduation season is upon us. And when my seniors, my graduating seniors or my second year MBAs came this spring to ask me for career advice, um, as they look to start their jobs, I usually start with put your head down and learn as much as you possibly can um, as you get going. Obviously, Cowan will have a number of graduates starting soon. What advice do you have for them? Well, I'd say, first of all, um, on behalf of you know all of us, congratulations to all the graduating seniors. And that extends not just to those graduating from college or from uh, graduate schools, but also uh, those from high school and such. It's a, it's a special time for anyone as a graduate and of course their families um, and maybe a little bittersweet uh, because of the, the past year we've been through. Uh, but hopefully um, they're going off to a future in a returning uh, normal. And again, we've been, we've been careful to use the term uh, now. You know, it's not about going back to normal. Uh, it's not even next normal. It's about a process of reemerging. And so I think for all the, the graduates, what I'd say is um, welcome to the new world that you're going to be entering. And um, let's think about what lessons we have from the past to help us navigate this new future that you're embarking on. I guess the, the first thing that I, I, I'd say is, um, I agree with you uh, when, when you say you start to put your head down, learn as much as you can. That's certainly the advice that we give to our incoming young professionals. Uh, nobody really can know, at, again, if they're coming out of undergrad uh, at 21 or 22 years old, if they're coming out of a business school degree, maybe they're in their late 20s, early 30s. Um, hard to know. In fact, you shouldn't know what exactly your career is going to develop into. But in, the, in your first roles, um, there's no question. Um, it's about accumulating knowledge. Uh, and I like to think that those that come out of you know, rigorous educations, more than anything else, they've learned how to learn. And what I think uh, young professionals need to do is continue that learning in their new job. Um, it's a lot easier if where they've selected to work happens to be in an industry or in a function that they really enjoy, that they have real interest in. I think it's very hard. We often see people uh, take on roles they think they're supposed to do, either because society's told them that their families have convinced them of that, their friends have, that tends not to work out really well. And so one of the things I would definitely say to people is make sure you're pursuing something that you're going to enjoy the domain that you're working in, because that puts you in position to learn um, 
both directly and by osmosis from the people around you and from the experiences. If you're in a field that you really don't think you're going to enjoy, it's probably going to be short-lived and you're probably not going to learn all that much. And so those would be the my top of the waves kind of thoughts. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say the same thing. Don't do what's hot today uh, because what's hot today tends not to be uh, hot tomorrow. And, you know, if you don't really enjoy what you're doing, it's going to be short lived in that regard. Um, you know, this graduation season, you know, as well as last year's really still wasn't uh, due to the pandemic still really wasn't normal. Um, you know, I know Penn still had a remote graduation. I know some people were able to have in-person graduations, but there's been a lot of press recently, especially in the last year about being a record year for wall street as well as the velocity of work increasing with no travel and no commuting and mostly Zoom meetings. It's really had an impact on the juniors uh, on Wall Street. How is Cowan trying to help their juniors adapt as well as those coming in, um, joining the firm shortly, post-graduation? Yeah, so I love the fact you use the term adapt because I think that um, this really is about adapting and in many respects, giving tools to all of us. And by the way, you asked the question about juniors and, and, and new joiners, but I'd say it's equally uh, applicable to the most senior professionals. Um, you know, none of us anticipated a world where we'd spend 14 to 15 months with almost um, no contact with our, our actual physical offices or with clients. And instead we'd be doing 95% of our work via technology. And so um, the way that we've, we've thought about this has been, we're, we're gonna be in a process of return. And as I said a few moments ago, what we'll be returning to will not be what we left in February or March of 2020. It will be different. Um, you know, some people have said, we've accelerated five years of uh, technological gains and changes in the way we operate in a one year period, right? So, you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit later maybe about some of the industries that have participated in that. But for our industry, for sure, we've changed the way we work. Uh, you reference Zoom, I'll say we use Teams and other products like that a lot more. We have more sharing of, of information because um, we've had to. Um, when we talk about going back to the office, um, the, the key word that, we've learned, and I'd say we've learned it from our people, has been flexibility. We've found out that certainly for our team, and I'm gonna guess that we're probably fairly similar to most um, white collar working environments. So I can't say this necessarily is applicable to some of the roles that are much more tied to um, you know, the uh, uh, manufacturing world, et cetera. But for the knowledge industries, um, our professionals have said they've enjoyed the flexibility, right? They, they, they've enjoyed being able to um, uh, do things from home, see their families more. Sometimes as simple as not commuting. At the same token, um, in, a, in a poll that we did internally, we found the number one thing people don't like about working from home is uh, they don't like the lack of boundaries between work and an and office. And so there's a paradox there. They like the flexibility, the lack of commute, maybe even the working in their pajamas sometimes, uh, dare I say, 
but they also miss the contact with their peers, the contact with clients, and having some separation. So what we've been thinking about, and we actually um, uh, have engaged our juniors directly, we've put together a council uh, representing our analysts and associates to give us direct insight, in addition to surveys we've done, on what we think the future should look like so that it actually fulfills their desires. Question one was, right, what should people be trying to get out of a job? Well, we think one of them is um, if they feel that you have ownership, you're part of the solution, well, then people are going to be a lot happier in their workspace. So we're definitely talking about adding in um, the fact that we probably won't have five days, Monday to Friday, in the office every day being required anymore. Um, the office will be our home base, but that's what will be, be a home base. And in a hub and spoke, the spoke is going to be all of our remote locations. And that might mean for an analyst or an associate that one week on Friday, they work from home. The next week, if they're going away for the weekend uh, to, you know, we'll say whatever, Marin County, if you're in San Francisco, or you're going to, you know, Sonoma, um, maybe you leave on Thursday, you work on Friday remotely from the hotel you're going to be at. Um, we think that's going to be a part of our workspace going forward. And that's one of the ways that we're trying to make sure that we build in the flexibility that our juniors have really enjoyed uh, during this period. Um, we also are definitely exploring um, something that we didn't anticipate, but during COVID, people just didn't take vacations. One of the reasons was they couldn't go away anyway. Where were they going? So they, they worked from home and people felt like, well, I'm going to take a vacation day to sit in my house all day. So they didn't take vacations in the way that they should have. And so we're going to be instituting oversight of things as simple as vacations. Like people can't go six months without taking vacation days. And that's going to be something that our HR working with our, our senior management are monitoring. And people will be told just like anything else, okay, when's your vacation days? you got to take a vacation the next three weeks, four weeks, because we want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to um, get a health and wellness break. Uh, yes. They deserve it. Um, it's important. And so those are some of the things we're doing kind of very tactically to address what we think is this challenging time of moving back into the office. At the same time, we're going back to society. And we're also mindful of that, right? For some people, it'll be the first time they're going to restaurants the first time they're getting in public transportation. And so the last thing I'd say there for all our employees is we're not racing back. We're doing baby steps first. Um, I've used the example of, it's like um, a sports team having you know, off season uh, exercises. Then they have things like spring training where they start practicing and then they start the regular season. We're not gonna get back to the office, all people, et cetera, for some time, but we're gonna be doing things that exercise our muscles to get used to what it's like to go back to the office. Right. Yeah. It, especially, you know, not, not just the junior employees, but those that graduated plus all the ones that, um, you know, have to relearn those muscles, as you say, in terms yeah. from a work. Uh, it's everyone. It's, it, it's honestly, this is just as applicable for our juniors as it is for the most senior professionals. It, it's, we're all going through this together, but we're, we're mindful of the hot buttons that younger people have versus older people Versus, you know, another one is there are hot buttons for folks who have young children, and that's different. And we have to make sure yeah. that we, we, we help them navigate it too. So when both of us graduated college, God, those many years ago, I guess, some of those hot, 
industries and companies to work for then don't even exist now, right? As you look forward, I mean, Cowan works with lots of interesting companies across emerging sectors from ag tech to biotech to all the areas related to renewables and clean tech. As you think about, as you look forward, what are the most, uh, what do you think are going to be the most interesting sectors over, let's say, the next 10 plus years? Well, you know, it's, um, it's amazing. First of all, you know, you age us when you talk about when we were in college, but uh, um, the, the interesting thing that we found, uh, in particular over the last three years, as we've increased our focus on uh, the disruptive forces across all sectors is, um, I'm not so sure that the sectors change, it's rather who's solving the problems within those sectors that change. And it, it reminds me of you know, the, the learnable moment that almost every business school student goes through of looking at the Kodak case study, right? And, and recognizing that you know, Kodak had the technology to do digital photography you know, 20 years before it came out, but they chose not to embrace it because they didn't want to eat up their film business. And I think that's really the message across almost all this disruption. Um, it's that new technologies and new ideas, you know, combined by bright minds, because bright minds are the ones who see around the corner and say, wow, this is a problem. There's technology out there to solve it. If we, you know, add X and Y with B and A, and we come up with a different business model. And so, um, you know, if I think about the things you even asked about, um, let's start with healthcare. You mentioned biotech. Um, healthcare is going to be continue to be probably the or the second largest industry for decades to come, right? We, we, we live longer, um, we fight more disease, et cetera. Um, but who the winners are in those spaces will continue to evolve. And so I think biotech hasn't yet scratched the surface of the, the, the opportunities and there's, you know- Do you think the FDA decades. process with what we saw in the pandemic, do you think that's going to evolve? You know, the fact that they were able to uh, come to market relatively quickly, obviously in a in a more, you know, in an emergency situation, do you think the FDA is going to adapt their processes to make it more market sensitive? Yeah, Go ahead. so I, I would, again, not being, you know, a biotech or a healthcare right. banker myself, but obviously we account very deep in that, right? Say it's, Part of the reason why we've seen such growth in biotech in the first place, even prior to what we saw with the vaccines, et cetera, is the FDA has already significantly simplified things up. The last administration, uh, in particular the chair, um, put in a lot of changes that made uh, the ability to move through the process quicker, um, accessible. Um, right. And that only got accelerated in the emergency use authorization for the vaccines. I, I think we'll ultimately go back to where emergency use is for emergency use. I don't think that will stay there, but I do think maybe the, the better path and the one that's more accessible in general to get drugs out faster, et cetera, is the burgeoning tools and diagnostics sector. So part of the reason why we have, you know, companies are able to um, target certain opportunities faster know what indications are more likely to work, um, and then um, use code or think of it as, think of the tool space often as it's almost, it's applying software tools to the drug discovery. That combination has significantly 
both increase the time to narrowing down the solution set, but also what it's done is it decreases the failure, or the failure rate. They're more likely that their shots on goal will be successful because they're not just doing it in the lab, they're using technological tools to say, focus on these three opportunities. So, you know, we, there's no question we thought about sectors. Tools and diagnostics is a right. sector that is just burgeoning and unbelievably exciting today. Synthetic biology, which is a related portion there, um, where again, we're, we're using new, new technologies to allow us to, um, you know, create in the Petri dish, so to speak, uh, that which might be a limited resource, um, but to solve important problems. Uh, it started with healthcare um, and drugs, but we see that now running out into consumer products, into technologies where um, our knowledge of, of cells um, allows us to actually create things that in the um, uh, natural universe um, either uses up too much resources um, or maybe you just can't replicate because we're running out of those resources. So those are areas that are really exciting. I will say, you, you also mentioned ag tech as part of your question. Um, if I were to point out the two areas that I think are just unbelievably exciting in general, outside of healthcare, I'd say everything in the sustainability um, uh, ecosystem, right. and that's, that's going from you know, the uh, electric vehicles over to ag tech, over to food supply issues. Um, the, we are at a point now, as we talked about in the last conversation, where um, it is now economically viable to have a business that is only focused on delivering solutions that use up less resources. And that's to us what we mean by sustainability. Um, huge opportunities there for, again, the young graduates coming out to build a career. And then the other one, mostly driven by engineers, uh, because if you don't have that skill set, you're not going to be able to do much there. But we're, we're just you know, years away, I think, from where true deep learning and machine learning companies can have a huge impact. We've seen a few of them, data-focused data companies like Palantir, but we see a burgeoning opportunity there, as well as in robotics and automation, where software and hardware come together to actually do things that are hard for people to do and do them better. And so um, all those are areas of, you know, it's not just the next decade, I think decades long opportunities for, for the economy. Yeah, no question. Um, so uh, just to shift gears for a second, we, we've obviously had a pretty significant event in the markets or especially as it relates to the East Coast in the last couple of weeks with the, what happened with the Colonial Pipeline. And, um, you know, obviously people on the East Coast are acutely aware of the potential disruption uh, with reliance on the oil and gasoline infrastructure for both, whether it's personal or commercial transportation. Um, you know, I know you, 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 Cowan spends a considerable amount of time in the alternative energy space or the energy transition space. How do you see technologies like biofuels and electric and hydrogen all evolving as we go forward? So um, the first thing is, uh, the number one message I think to society and to industry from what happened to the Colonial Pipeline is the, the just enormous risk uh, for, from a cybersecurity standpoint. Um, no because question. while it happened to be a pipeline, um, you can't just jump and say, well, if we had electric instead, it'd be better because 
that could have been the it could have been the grid. It could yep. have shut down theoretically the Northeast Electric Grid, in which case uh, gasoline would have been better, and your electric car couldn't run like we saw in Texas, uh, you know, a few months ago. So I think the first message there is how important uh, cybersecurity is for everything we're talking about in the future. And the more reliant we become on technology for solutions, the more important the safety is there. And I think, you know, we're gonna have to look to the governments around the world to really come together on a protocol for dealing with these cyber risks, because I don't think you can solve it. You know, the Chinese can't solve it on their own. We can't solve it on our own. Uh, the Russians can't solve it on their own. But there's got to be a price to pay and a real one if if you allow cyber warfare. So that's just a you know a personal uh, view that I think um, is important. When we go to energy transition, I think that almost in the way you asked the question, you answered it, which is it's all the above. I think that we're going to end up in a world of a balance between um, a number of different technologies some of which will be better for different types of solutions. So the way we fuel the home um, may be very different from the way we fuel a automobile, may be very different than how we fuel a airplane, um, uh, but they're not all gonna be reliant on hydrocarbons the way right now they are, right? Again, you know, natural gas, oil, jet fuel, all come from hydrocarbons. Um, so I think that in this evolution, uh, and that's what it is. Um, we're, it's a 30 to 40 year evolution away from a dependence on hydrocarbons. Um, you know, all the, the various opportunities that we know of currently will play a role. The one that I think is most exciting near term to most people, which is electric, has its own risks. Um, you know, right. um, we're seeing it right now where we're close to a number of companies that are doing electric charging stations um, and yeah. building infrastructure. You know, if New York City tomorrow um, basically banned uh, gasoline-powered vehicles, um, there'd be no cars on the road, ostensibly, because there's not nearly enough electric charging infrastructure in New York to be allowed for that. And we don't have enough load in New York City. Con Edison couldn't deliver enough power locally to actually fuel all those cars, right? So, so what it means is there's a huge infrastructure need to get to that future of electric being dominant, hydrogen, hydrogen electric alternatives, and then biofuels, there's an infrastructure needed there as well to make that truly viable. So I think this is gonna be a, a combination of a public-private partnership over time with the public having to be a part of this and building in components that are for general use. And then companies, there'll be companies emerging on monopolies. I mean, you know, if I make the investment on building out the electric grid, let's say for charging in the city of Chicago, um, how do I get reimbursed for that? If I put the money up, do I control? Those are the kinds of questions that still have to be determined, but it's clear that's our future. Um, it's a future that's a combination of, of all the above. Uh, and we won't know what's dominant until down the road and governments can have a say in that because if the government really leans in and says electricity is the answer, it's going to be a lot harder, harder for, say, biofuels to get their go because the subsidies might be on the electric side. So um, that needs to be worked out. Right. So we've talked about the return to the office probably happened now that most people are or not most people, but uh, a number of people have gotten their shots. And, um, 
you know, uh, the restrictions from the CDC and, and mask wearing and stuff are, are changing. Um, it seems like it's going to be in the next month or so or the next few months that people will be transitioning back to the office. Um, you know, before the pandemic, there was significant, uh, you know, trends in ride sharing and micro mobility. How do you see, do you see that re-emerging or re-accelerating now that we're kind of transitioned through this period in terms of the pandemic? So we do, um, and I was actually should be more aggressive on that. We definitely do. Um, and I think it's because of a few things. Uh, one is that the, the trends were already on that side because as the younger generations take their rightful place as an economic force over time, um, that they've got different interests than say those they're replacing our age or older. Um, you know, our generation was used to owning um, lots of different assets. The next generation is more focused, at least currently it seems, based on all the data, on experiences. And so they'd rather collect experiences than collect assets. Ride sharing and micromobility are 100% at the core of that, if you think about the solution it provides. It says, why would I want to own three cars if I'm a suburban family, um, to have them sit in a driveway 90% of the time? when I could actually um, find the exact type of ride I want at any moment through a sharing situation. So it, it, it delivers a better customer experience and um, I don't have the cost nor the, the dust being collected of actually owning the asset myself. And so I think that both those trends were there. It's accelerating now though, because um, more people have experienced that. Uh, and so I think that you know, what we're going to see is as people come back to work, um, the, an acceleration of both those themes. Uh, and then you throw in that in the cities, it's going to take a while for people to get used to public transportation. Right. And that's going to lead to, um, unfortunately, for, I think it's not great for the environment because most right now, they're not, they're not electric, most of these opportunities. They're still mostly uh, hydrocarbon. We're going to see an increase in traffic, et cetera, because of the use of more more of these uh, alternatives that over time as they become electric, obviously that becomes more sustainable. So uh, definitely. So, you know, similar to that, I mean, last year at this time, we were pretty reliant on e-commerce, whether it's for our shopping or even takeout delivery for dining. And again, now with the, the vaccines and the various masking rules changing, um, it's, you know, people are now wanting to shop in person and kind of renew, you know, re renew their lives as it once was and dining in person um, and almost hopefully going back to normal. When you talk to clients in the consumer sector, what do you, they expect in the next few months and the re really the rest of the, this year? Well, it, it, um, it's like I answered earlier when I talked about what I thought the future sectors were. Um, I said, it's really not about the sectors changing. It's about who solved the problems. Um, the genie is not gonna go in the, in the box here either. Meaning um, the, the digitally enabled solutions um, are, are going to be huge enablers of the consumer uh, facing companies going forward. Those who embrace technology, let's take a restaurant, the example you used, um, they're gonna be able to figure out the right balance between their takeout services their delivery services, and their in-restaurant experience. The one thing they're not gonna do 
is stop using data and stop using technology to fuel them. So it may be that what before was during the, 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 the pandemic, um, they moved to you know, an online and app friendly environment for ordering. That may be now how they do all their bookings for restaurant space. Better experience for the customer, maybe they even get to pick their table. We're seeing people think about those kinds of things. So I think that you know, demand will determine what in restaurant versus out is. One thing for sure, profitability will go up though, because right. with that data, um, I can now, if I'm an owner of a restaurant chain, I can target people. I can have things like special Tuesdays for whatever it might be. And I know from the data that David Erickson is more willing to buy tacos on Tuesday than Thursday. So I'm going to basically market to you that way. Tacos every day for me, actually. But I, but I do think that it puts more pressure than ever on the mom and pop. So if, I, if there's one theme that I, I think is playing out is um, COVID showed us that the ability to um, afford the digitally native components and embrace it is a key differentiator from those who are able to balance or not. So the, the, I am afraid that the trend has been going on for many years where mom and pop, you know, restaurants, stores, et cetera, being squeezed out by either larger chains or by digitally native companies. Um, I think that's likely to continue with one exception. Um, when you get to the luxury end of everything, um, whether it be luxury branded product, whether it be the high-end restaurants, there is always a place for that, you know, high customer service. And generally, um, family-owned businesses, et cetera, are just better at delivering that customer experience. Uh, and so there'll be niches where um, you know, that can be delivered that way. Understanding that of course, some large chains are also great at customer experience. And um, that's the battle I think ahead is serve the customer. Last question, recognizing you gotta get back to the, what's going on in the market today, given the turbulence. As I look back over the last year, besides the pandemic, one of the biggest themes in the market was the real emergence of ESG, whether that's the excitement of the electric slash alternative energy space to the social awakening, reawakening in areas from investing to governments, governance. What do you see as one of the potential big themes as you look forward to the balance of 2021 and really the early part of 2022? So for the next year, say. Yeah, so. I guess this is a great time to introduce at least a, con a way that I think about ESG. I don't think they're equal in their weighting at any one point in time. And depending on a corporate situation or one investor's view, they may um, you know, have put greater emphasis on one or the other. I think the reason why the environmental is, is and I think will continue to be the biggest theme for some time is that, um, Businesses that are solving problems with resources and are therefore helping on the environmental related issues um, are at, while they're doing that are also solving a social challenge because so many of our environmental challenges disproportionately impact those that are disadvantaged or are not in the, in, in the, in the strongest position. And so um, our view is certainly the easiest way to, from an investable theme, um, and the easiest business models to attack are the pure environmental ones. Um, so I think, again, if you have to say for the next year, I think that continues. It, we're still early in that emerging. I think on the social space, what we're starting to see though is 
and it's a clear, it's like this clear second place is all of a sudden, um, you know, this acceleration of things like online learning has meant that new education programs that really even the playing field between the haves and the have nots are starting to become truly scalable. And so right. there's lots of questions regarding, and I'm sorry, cause I know your, your, your employee might not love this, uh, but you know, what is the value of um, the you know, on-campus uh, college experience or business school experience or law school experience? Um, th that goes into the S because if I can create access, no matter where people are, to a world-class MBA experience or world-class legal experience, then maybe students don't have to actually pick up from where they are, have the expense of moving. And for some people, that would be better. And so we're seeing lots of online education from you know, pre-K all the way to the elderly, um, learning languages, learning new skills, coding, et cetera. Um, and that's core in social. Um, and so I think that we're gonna start seeing more social oriented businesses being developed post pandemic because lessons learned like that. And so, you know, if I had to pick the second theme, it would be this emergence of real business plans attacking some of the social you know, injustices to even the playing field through skills and knowledge. Uh, so hopefully that, that answers your question. Yeah, that's great, Larry. It's, it, it was great to catch up again. Thanks so much for the time. Look forward to our next conversation. Thank you again, David, for, for participating with me and, 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 and coming up with such great questions. Look forward to next month. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.